Good morning. Good morning. This is a beautiful day to come together and praise the Lord. I think Jules is out there somewhere, but uh, she's talking with someone. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, will you please stand and sing with us?
First John chapter 4 says, There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in, is not complete in love. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Uh, thank you for showing us what complete love is. Uh, thank you for the ability to live a life of courage and without being so afraid of what comes next. God, thank you for this life. Thank you for the ups and downs, some of the goods and the bads. God, just thank you for everything. Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Hey, God is good. I'm glad you guys are here. It feels like the perfect day to worship. If you're worshiping with us online, we're glad you clicked on to us. Sometime during the service, will you fill out your connection card? Hey, this is our, our last Sunday of the month, so it's Family Worship Sunday. If you've got little ones, there's, of course, little action packs back there. Otherwise, we, we got up today. We got dressed today to praise God, so let's get back to it. Oh 
verse 3 tells us acknowledge that the Lord is God he made us and we are his his people the sheep of his pasture Of my death and me. 
Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoices as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested. says, I call to you from the ends of the earth. When my heart is without strength, lead me to a rock that is high above me. Are your feet on the rock today? Ooh, ooh, I can see the clouds rolling. I can feel the wind say, try to shake me. I will not be moved. My feet are on the rock. Oh, I can feel the waters rise. I can hear the howling lies. They haunt me. Fear won't hold me now. My feet are on the rock. When I feel my hope. my hope about to break I will get to your 
finishing a, a series here, uh, the, last, the Lost Parables of Jesus. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And maybe I'm going to tell you this, maybe I'm the only one here that had this moment, but two weeks ago I was sitting in the back, back there on the couch because it's super comfortable, and I looked up the screen and it said the Lost Parables of Jesus, and I, I had this moment of like serious panic, because I looked and I'm like, the Lost Parables of Jesus, are we, are we actually alluding to the fact that, that somehow First Christian Church has found these new teachings of Jesus and like my heart stopped. I'm like, oh man, I got to get my resume ready because I'm going to be out of a job here really soon. It, it took me, it literally, it felt like forever, but it, it took me a couple seconds to realize the play on words, the lost parables of Jesus. And oh man, did I feel silly. But hey, that's what we're going to be in. Uh, we're going to be finishing up the lost parables of, of, of Jesus. And if you've been with us these last few weeks, uh, this is the, the third set of three that Jesus was teaching. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Now, when we get into the, the passage, this parable is a lot longer, so we're not going to read all of it. We are going to read part of it, but we're not reading all of it. So I would recommend when you go home, um, you finish it up. So we're going to start in chapter 15, verse 11, and we're just going to read just a little ways, and we'll stop. I said, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of inheritance or property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son, younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And we had, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. 
and no one gave him anything. We're going to stop there because when we look at this, this is, for me personally, this is one of those passages I read that it makes me so happy. I, I look at this, and we all say, oh, we love Jesus, right? We say that, but this is one of those passages that I, I read this, and I go, man, I really like Jesus. Like, he entertains me, because here's what's going on. So the, the very first week, the beginning of chapter 15, Jesus tells this parable, and he's surrounded by tax collectors. He's, the sinners are with him. The Pharisees are there. The teachers of the law, and they're all just listening to him. Some are waiting to trip him up. Others are just there because they want to hear what he has to say. And it's, he does this really awesome thing. So first, he breaks out what is in verse 1. And Jeff talked about this two weeks. He talks about the lost sheep. So he goes, there was this farmer who had a hundred sheep and one walked away. The shepherd left his flock and they went and found that one sheep. And when he found him, there was a party. And, and I imagine in this, in this situation, everyone there is listening and they're smiling. They're saying, yes, yes, because they understand. Here's this sheep. Oh, the poor sheep wandered away. And they look at, they say, well, that sheep, that sheep needs the shepherd to defend him. That, that sheep, that's someone's livelihood. You've got to protect him. That sheep is defenseless out in the world. And they'd say, yes, yes, it's such a great day. The sheep has been found and everyone's smiling and saying, yes, I understand. And they look at the cute sheep. And they go, yes. And they get this mental picture of what's going on and everyone's happy. And they're saying, yes, I get it. And then he switches, and he says, there was a, a lady, and she had 10 coins, and she lost one. And she went looking for this last coin, and when she found it, she had a huge party, and everyone was happy. And I imagine, I get this mental picture, everyone there is listening, they're saying, that makes sense. Here's this woman, she doesn't have much. She lost 10% of what she had. She's looking around, this coin is valuable. It's valuable to her. It's valuable to anyone that found it. She needs it. So they're nodding, yes, and I get it. That great woman, she found her coin. Yay! And then when they're all happy and they're smiling, then Jesus brings out the hammer. And he brings out this passage right here. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And I bet the crowd said no. So they start out smiling. That beautiful sheep, it makes sense. They were smiling. Here's that coin, it makes sense. And then all of a sudden, Jesus talks about this arrogant son who goes to his father, who has done nothing and demands something. And you know, I look at that and it brings us to our first point. It's simply making inappropriate demands. And I bet the mood of the crowd changed instantly because they would have been sorrowful and sympathetic for the sheep. They would have been excited for the found coin. But here is this arrogant boy, goes to his father, demands his share of the property, and I can't even imagine what was going through their mind. See, for us, you and me sitting in this room, we hear this passage and we go, yeah, that, that's really messed up. I can't believe that son would do that. We, we kind of get you know, a little, little angry, don't we? We look at that and go, oh, that's not right. That's, that's messed up. You know why we do that? It's because we're kind of numb to this. See, we, we see this all the time. Here's just a, a few ones, and you might have heard of these. Uh, there was a young lady named Rachel Canning a few years ago. 
She made national news. She turned 18, and when she turned 18, her parents said, no more, we're not supporting you anymore. She got a lawyer, took her parents to court, and she wanted to sue them for full cost of college tuition plus a very healthy living uh, accommodation because she said, you owe it to me. She made national news. I remember seeing pictures of her in her nice black uh, blazer suit in court with her lawyer suing her parents because it's, it's normal. That happens. Uh, Raphael Samuel uh, sued his parents no lie, because he did not give consent for his birth. Can't make that stuff up. 18-year-old Katharina, Katharina, I'm bad with names, she sued her parents because her parents posted a lot of baby pictures of her without her consent. She took them to court. Daily Mail just released an article, I think it's in Detroit, uh, a lady in Detroit, um, she's getting up there in age, we'll put that nicely, she is very tight on money, who isn't, so her idea was she was going to sell the home, move into a one-bedroom apartment, use the funds from the sale to kind of help alleviate some of the stresses. Her children found out about it, got lawyers and took her to court because they said that is our family home, our inheritance, you can't sell it. See, we, we see this stuff, so when we listen to this passage about, hey, you know, you, you, we read it, and oh, here's the son, he's suing his parents, we go, that's really kind of stinky, but we're more numb to it. When he was talking to the Pharisees, the tax collectors, the, the sinners, everyone there is around him, when he described this young man demanding an inheritance, oh, it, it would have been it wouldn't have been, oh, that poor boy, like the poor sheep or the poor coin. It would have been, that guy is garbage. And I can imagine, I can imagine Jesus getting this, this like inside smirk. Because see, he reels them in. First, he gets them, he gets them real soft with this beautiful sheep passage. And everyone's listening. And then he, he comes out with this, this passage about the poor lady who lost some of her wealth. And everyone's listening. And I can almost imagine a smirk going in Jesus' mind saying, I got you. I got you, because he brings it out. And I, I think about the crowd sitting here listening to this and how angry they would have been thinking about this boy making this demand. And then I, I think to myself, man, we're, we're almost exactly who this person is right now. Except for, see, I don't, I don't think most of us realize it. Let me, let me tell you why. I want you to think about what was going on now. So the young man went to his father. He was demanding his share of the property. So what he was doing was essentially saying, Dad, I know what's coming to me when you are gone. I want it now, right? He was going to get it. When father passed away, he was going to get his property. So what the young man did essentially is he, is he went to his father and said, I know what you promised me in the future. I simply want it now. And I, I think of that. And then I start thinking about how we react to Scripture. See, we, we hear passages. We read passages like Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. It says, the Lord will wipe away all the tears on all the faces. And people say, man, having God wipe away our tears, no more sorrow, no more sadness, that sounds really good. I want it now. Well, we'll read John chapter 14. It says, my Father's house has many rooms. And we think... Man, Jesus said, there's a, there's a place for me. And then I think, man, how many times have we lived a life where we, we're here and we feel like, man, we don't, we don't have a place. We have kids growing up that they don't feel like they belong anywhere. And, and here's Jesus saying, hey, I've got a home for you. There is a place for you. And we go, I want a place. 
I want it now. And then we read Luke chapter 13. It says people will come from the east and west and the north and the south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. And we go, wow, a feast with God? Because it feels like oftentimes in life we just keep taking, but nothing really fills us up. And then I think, man, there's a feast at the kingdom of God? That sounds really good. I want it now. Or how about Revelations chapter 22? It says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And I think that sounds beautiful in this world that just seems so dark and ugly recently. This sounds beautiful. I want that. I want it now. Look at this, this young man going to his father. I, I'm starting to have this idea that he was demanding something that was his in the future, but he wanted it now. And I start to think to myself, how many times have we sat together as a body of believers and someone says, hey, will you pray for this? And what they're essentially saying is, God, I, I know what you have promised me in the future. I want it now. I think we have to be careful making inappropriate demands because that's all this son did was he was making a demand of his father that was inappropriate and if i could completely change direction of my thought here i just want to throw this this little bit out here if you look in the words right here and it says and he divided his property between them look at these right here it says not many days later the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country you know i just want to throw this out here family uh, the son got what he wanted and he still left and I think oftentimes that's our life we get what we want even when we make inappropriate demands we still leave this parable of the lost son uh, there is so much here that we could just sit and study and look at there is some serious depth to what's going on the son was demanding the future now let's read again Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to all the citizens, to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. We're going to stop there, and it brings us to our second point. This, this is really a simple one. It's simply being surrounded by the wrong people. See, if you're a good Bible student, you know that when oftentimes, especially in history, when there were groups of people on a map, if you broke up locations of people, oftentimes people associated in those sections all had very similar religious beliefs. They would practice the same things. They would follow the same gods. They would worship the same ways. So oftentimes when, when you would see sections on a map of, of history, the people within those areas were all very similar-minded with their, the morals, their ethics, the way they lived, the way they worshiped, everything. They would kind of congregate together. Now, we don't do that quite so much now. So let's say you, someone here moves. You, a lot of times people would contact the church office and they'd say, hey, I'm moving to... Illinois, is there a church there within the Christian Brotherhood that you could, you could get me in contact with? 
And we'd say, yeah, we'll, we'll look you up. Why? Because there's, and especially in America, we have, we have spread out churches all over the place. So when you go somewhere, there is someone there that has a very similar moral belief. Not so here. So when this boy left, what he literally did was he moved his stuff and he went into an area. He was completely surrounded by a whole other situation of belief, no family, no friends. He was completely surrounded by people who probably did not have the same belief systems he did. And you know, I, you know, I, feel, I feel kind of bad for this kid, don't you? When you get a couple dollars in your pocket, doesn't the world open its doors to you? Come on, be honest. You win the lottery today, I'm going to tell you, family, you're going to have a lot of new friends. You win a big enough lottery and somehow I want to be in your family. I'm going to get some ancestry going. I'm going to get associated it seems like when you have a couple dollars, man, the world's so nice to you. You have friends. You could be a really unattractive person. You get enough money and you were attractive to someone. I feel bad for this poor kid because here he is. Everything's going great. He's surrounding himself in a new area. The, the world is, and the world says oyster. And what happens? He runs out and where is he at? He's living with the pigs. And I, 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 I feel that. But honestly, Honestly, I don't even know why we bother talking about this because this is, this is a subject we've talked about in, in depth. Why even bother talking about this? Because it doesn't go anywhere. See, here's what we'd do. If you were all a bunch of teenagers and we were doing a church camp, we would, there's a, a visual lesson here that everyone's used for the last 30 years. We'd get a couple people up and they would be our, our examples. And I would say, all right, I'll get a chair up here. And I'd say, okay, I need one person to pretend to be the only Christian. Someone raised their hand. We put them on the chair. And I would say, all right, everyone around you is a non-believer. I want, I want you to either pull them on the chair with you or they pull you down. We've done this for 30 years. What happens? There's one person on the chair. Everyone around them pulls them down. We go, oh, everyone laughs. We go, okay, this time I want, you to get, I want you to get a second person and I want you to say they're Christians with you. Now I want you to choose someone and I want you to help pull them up. What happens? The two on the chair that are pretending to be the, the good Christians will pull the non-believer up, right? We've, we've done this for years. And then there's this big lesson about, about when you go into the world, you should always go with, with a partner that has a very similar belief. And we sit and church and we nod and we say yes 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 i believe that and then we step out this room and it's the exact opposite see we surround ourselves with people that do not believe what we believe and if i say anything to you i know what you do christians you know what you say to me you know what you say when someone looks at you and says hey you have completely surrounded yourself with people who don't love jesus you've got to get some you got to get some partners up in there you know what you say i know what you say you say i'm witnessing to him Come on. I'm ministering to him, Jerry. Come on. It's like the person that's sitting in church. They close their eye and fall asleep. And you look at them after church, and you go, hey, so-and-so, you fell asleep in church. And you go, oh, I wasn't, I wasn't sleeping. I was praying. Really? You were snoring and drooling when you were praying? Come on. Or the person, you know who they are. They got their phone out, and they're doing this number during church. And I'll say, hey, where, what were you doing on your phone during church? And you say, oh, I was looking at Scripture. And I'm like, I've never seen anyone do this on Scripture. And they go, <laughs> as they show their neighbors. I'm like, come on. It's that answer. So when someone is, is addressed and say, hey, you know, you've surrounded yourself with people who do not believe the way you do, and I, I think it's hurting you. They say, oh, I'm just witnessing to them. I'm just ministering to them. Why? Because at that point in time, what do you say? You can't argue that. You go, oh, okay. There was a young man I knew, and he wanted to go into ministry. And uh, 
I was very cranky then, so it wasn't me who confronted this, this person because I had no limit. So someone else did. He was a bartender at a, at a local bar in, this, in the city. And uh, someone came to him and said, you're a bartender at, the, at this bar, and I know personally some of the people that you are serving has a serious issue with alcohol. You are filling their cups. And you know what the kid said? He said, the bar is my ministry. Come on. Really? Why didn't he say, you know what? I know it. I know it. I shouldn't be doing it, but it, I get good tips. It's, it's putting me through school. I, I know it's not the best job. No, he came out and said, oh, I'm ministering to him. It's the same thing that's, that's going on here. See, this young man goes into a whole other area. He's surrounded by people who don't believe like him, who don't live like him. No family, no friends, all new start. He's completely surrounded himself by people that are not good for him. And we do it too. We do it. And then we walk out of here and we're doing it. And then we say things like, I don't feel as close to God. Really? You don't feel as close to God? You have surrounded yourself with people that are trying to pull you down. You have surrounded yourself by people who don't love Jesus. They are, they are not trying, you're not lifting them up. They're, you're, you're getting pulled down. You've got to get a partner in this. You've got to have an ally in this. When you go out and you're going to minister to people, you've got to have more than one person. Take a friend. Find someone that believes like you do. So when you start to stumble, you have someone to lift you up. And when they stumble, you lift them up. All right, let's read one more. We'll be done. So he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran out and embraced him and kissed him. Brings us to our last point. Not realizing when enough is enough. I look at this passage and it kind of it kind of irritates me, to be honest. The son went to the father and said, I want my share of the inheritance now. The dad gave it to him. There is no writing anywhere that the dad said, Fine, you take your inheritance and you get out. Not once did that dad say, You've got to go. He made a demand inappropriately. The father accepted that demand. He still left. But here's the problem why did it take him such a long time to come home? Why didn't the son realize enough is enough? See, we read this, this passage here, and if, if you don't follow his mental logic here, we lose track of time. See, when we read this, it makes it look like it was a very short trip. He got his inheritance, went out, spent some money, got hungry, came home. That is not what happened. That is absolutely, there is no possible way that happened because this is what happened. Son made a demand of his father. Father gave it to him. Several days passed. He left. So he had a fairly large amount of money that he can go and party with, which he did. It would have taken him some time to squander that much money, even through wild living. So he was gone for a while, had a good time, spent his money. Then it said, after he had run out of money, what happened next? Then he had to look for a job. 
So there's the time for he left to the time he spent his money. Now he's, now he's looking for a job. Then as he's working, he said he started getting so hungry that he wanted to eat the slop that the pigs ate. That takes time. So he had money, left the house, lived the life, got hungry, worked so long that he actually became hungry for the garbage he was feeding these pigs. Then it would have taken even longer because he would have been arrogant. He would have been living high on the hog, literally. He would have said, hey, I'm, I'm giving the good life. I'm giving all these fun things to everyone around me. I am the number one fella in this situation. To go from the number one fella to living with the pigs to saying, I am okay with going home and being my father's servant. This is not a one-day situation. There was a fairly significant amount of time from when the son left till the son came home. And I want to say, brother, why, did, why is that? Why did it take you so long to realize enough is enough? And honestly, here's the problem. We do that here today, this very second. Every year in our country, between 1.6 and 2.8 million teenagers run away from home. That's almost one out of 10 teenagers will run away from home. And here's the real problem. When they were interviewing some of the runaways at some of the, the homes in the streets, almost half of the runaways said, I was either forced to leave or I told my family I was leaving and they didn't stop me. Here's this boy who just made a demand of his father and his father didn't tell him to leave. Why didn't he say enough is enough? And then I, I, I start looking. And I start thinking because when you look at the, the national statistics on runaways, if a runaway is gone for more than 30 days, it is less than a 7% chance the kid will come home on their own. They'll sometimes be returned home if a police finds them where there's some medical issues. 7% of the runaways or less return home on their own after 30 days because they don't know when to say enough is enough. It's just like this, it's just like this kid. We have to ask our runaways, why are you staying out so long? Come home! Of the people that run away from home, 32% have reported trying to take their own life. 32% are trying to end their life because of what they're living in. And I think there are over 5,000 deaths a year by teenagers living on the street that don't want to go home. 5,000 are dying. And I want to look at them and say, man, I bet you'd still be alive if you were home. I bet you'd still be alive. Here's the problem not realizing when enough is enough. See, according to my, my knowledge, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there is only one person, we could argue easily, that there has been only one person who has run away, who has not run away from his heavenly father. There's only one. See, every other one of us here have run away from our heavenly father. The second that we commit our first sin, we have separated ourselves from God. That's, that's, just, the, that's just all, that's, that's truth. That's scriptural. The first time you sin, you are separated from God. And Jesus died to bring us back together. So I think of this, all of us are runaways from our Heavenly Father. All of us. And then I want to say, when is enough enough? When, why did it take this boy so long to say, man, i got to come home? Here's a, here's a really startling thing. Do you know what has caused when they interviewed the students or the, the family that came home, let me rephrase that, when they have interviewed the teens that have returned home from runaways, you know what the biggest cause of their return is? It's a connection to someone in the family. They come home because someone else in the family got them to. Isn't that crazy? And then I think, man, when we look at that in the church, 
That is the exact thing we have going here. When people leave the church, what is the number one reason they come back? Someone in these chairs said, hey, you need to come home. Imagine this, if you will. Imagine you have a nephew, niece, child, grandchild who decided to run away from home, and they came and talked to you. What would you say? Be honest with yourself. I have bet you almost every single one of you would say very similar to the same thing. Hey, you know what? Whatever it is you ran away from, fess up to it, go home. The same thing that this dad was probably thinking, man, just come home. Something else to think about is especially in this situation. See, when everyone would have been listening to this boy that left the home, people would have been gnashing their teeth. Why? Because frequently when the family was there, a family unit would work together. That's just life. If the family was farmers, when they had kids, the kids would help on the farm. And so, who did this affect the most? Why do you think the older brother was so upset when his brother came home? Who do you think was picking up his fair share of the work? It was him. It was the family that hurts. See, these Pharisees and the tax collectors and the sinners, when they heard about this, it would have been very clear. This boy running away not only would have taken money, it would have hurt the family. They would have been glaring, thinking, oh, that, that parents had kids to help them around the, the house with work. You, you just stole free labor in the house. That's a big no-no. I'll, I'll tell you, it's been a running joke. I have to be careful because whenever I tell my, my kids about someone I dated in the, in the past, I would always say, it was the love of my life, and I would do that to mess with my wife. And someone told me, they said, it's not nice to ever refer to any of your exes as love of my life, so I won't do that. There was this ex, not the love of my life. And we were dating and I was really young, and it was really, it, to me, this was like one of the craziest things I ever saw when I was younger. The girl I was dating had an older brother, and the older brother went out, and I won't say exactly what he did, but he, he did some really bad things, and he was looking at about 10 years hard time for his crimes. And so the brother got together with the lawyer, and they, they figured out the statute of limitations about when the crime happened, when it started, and when it would basically disappear. And to me, this was so awesome because I was young and didn't know any better. The brother went out and acquired, I'm not sure how, he acquired a whole new set of documents and gave him a whole new set of social security numbers and IDs to have a brand new name. And they calculated the exact days and the exact amount of time he had to leave before he'd come home and the crime was off his record so he can live again. And I'm young, I'm thinking, oh man, this is so awesome. It's like a movie. It's like a special, like a spy. He's running out. He's got a new name. And I was just thinking, this is like the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I'm smiling, and the rest of the family's eyes are all watery, and they're, they're all upset because they're looking at their, their brother and their, their son, and they're saying, you're going to be gone for eight years. We're not supposed to talk to you. We're not supposed to know where you went. We don't know what's going on with you. You have to disappear. And I thought, man, who's Who's hurting? from this kid being gone, it was the family. Not realizing when enough was enough, come home. And I want to say the same thing to our, our brothers and sisters. See, there are a lot of people right now, there are a lot of people, if you asked them and, and they were honest, they would say, if you say, are you going to heaven or hell? They would say, I'm going to hell. I'd say, I know I'm going to hell. I, but 
It's, it's what's, what's, what's happening. What, what, what am I going to do? I'm going to hell. And I want to look at them and I would say the same thing I say to this prodigal son. Man, go home. Come on. You've been out long enough. Come home. You've got a father who's waiting for you. Man, suck it up. Come home. As our band comes up and leads us in a song of decision, I'm going to say the same thing to you. If, if you have not made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, man, come home. If you're watching online, you haven't made a decision to, to follow Jesus, I'm going to say the same to you. Come home. It's time. You've been out long enough. They're waiting for you. Your family needs you. We need you. Hey, if you had a rough week and you want some prayers, hey, come on down. We'll pray with you. If you're watching online, on the back of your connection card when you filled out, there's a little section for prayer requests. Hey, we look at that every week. We pray about them. If it's confidential, mark it. We'll remember it. We won't share it. It's important. If you're a baptized believer, uh, you want to be part of our family, hey, come, come on down. We'll welcome you with open arms. But uh, let's stand together and sing. Jesus 
nothing can stand against what a powerful name it is the name of Jesus you have no rival you have no equal now and forever God you reign yours is the kingdom yours is the glory There's a passage of scripture. If you've been to the church for any length of time, I'm, I'm sure you've heard it. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It said, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is one of those passages that, that theologians have been arguing forever. Uh, what does it mean? Uh, what's this idea of eating in an unworthy manner? Now, one person will think it's, it's because oftentimes in the New Testament, uh, people wanted to eat communion based on how much money they had. Whoever was the wealthiest got to go first. Uh, where they sat was a, a a condition that people would argue about. And so we'd say, is this what Paul's talking about? Then other people would say, no, it's because sometimes they would serve communion in a feast, and oftentimes in the middle of the feast they'd have communion, and people were intoxicated. So we'd argue that, and they would go back and forth. But I, I think really what we do oftentimes when we have a piece of scripture like that is we argue about it, we debate it. Why? Because that way we don't have to actually think about what it means. See, when we get bogged down with the details, what we do is we don't have to look at what, what Paul is saying. He's saying, <clears throat> when you come to have communion, communion shouldn't be about who's sitting where, who has what money, what state of mind they're in, how they're dressed, where they came from, how much they give to the church. He said, when you come to have communion, you need to look at yourself. And really, what communion should be is very simply not about what someone else is doing, those out getting that juice, getting the bread, bowing your head, saying this is what we're doing because Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of me. And then we have that juice. We remember the fact that Jesus loved us and forgave us of our sins. So the, the things that we're carrying with us, the anger, the hurt, maybe we need to let them, things go with other people. Because if we've been forgiven, we should forgive others. That's what this passage is talking about. So when we bow and pray and we get this juice, it doesn't matter what other people are doing doesn't matter who's getting what, who's in front of you, what they look like, what they have. doesn't matter. What matters is that we're all loved because Jesus loved us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, 
giving us this example to remember that you died for us, you love us, uh, you gave your life up for us. Father, thank you for the example of love, showing us that love isn't just a word, it is a way that we live. God, I ask you to help us uh, examine ourselves to make sure that, that we are taking it in the proper manner. Help us let things, things go from people that hurt us in the past. God, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements and a few other things going. Um, take note that all the uh, youth activities will be taking place this evening. Rogers Life Group will not be meeting because there's going to be a Singspiration at Whetstone at 5 p.m. If you would like to go to that, they're asking that you bring a dessert to share. Uh, we have all of our studies going on this week. Um, in a moment, I'll have Jules come up and talk about Lady Spa. Narrow Path, we're going to be meeting on the uh, 13th. We're going to meet here at 8, leave at 8.30. We're going to the backside of the Wachukas. So make sure you bring uh, food and water. You'll need it. We have things about the food pantry, about Operation Christmas Child, the Sunshine Ladies. Make sure you take, that's why we print these wonderful things, so you can take them home and you know what's going on. I love it when somebody says, I forgot that was happening. I'm like, we printed the bulletin for you. But anyway, uh, we got that. At this time, I'll have Jules come up. She wants to uh, share about the, the ladies' 
bomb. And I, it's, it's rough. You know, she tried to say that we have the off-road thing, but I said women can come to that. Well, um, well, it's happening. It is soon. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you can't please everybody. Um, before I share information about um, the upcoming spa event this Saturday, I just first would like to say thank you so much to the women that did come to this last spa um, women's meeting. It was so beautiful. Um, and the people that weren't able to come that prayed for it to happen, thank you so much for your prayers. They were widely felt as um, the Holy Spirit just really moved the women, took us into a lot long, longer time than we expected. For that, I apologize. Um, when God has a time, it's his time, not ours. <laughs> but um, with that being said, I would like to invite you, we would like to invite you to our spa event for women. <clears throat> It's coming. Um, spa event for women uh, this Saturday. It's going to be in the Annex building. Uh, come and get a flyer. I am a person that needs reminders. So put this on your fridge. Put it in your phone. However you need it to remind yourself to come. We would love to have you. It is from 10 to noon. To noon uh, this time. Uh, it's a little bit better planned because we've done this before. Plan to get a little dirty. Um, it is just a time of, I don't know, it's something fun. Um, we brought this back because it was so well-received from the women's group last time. So we're really looking forward to doing this with you guys again. Um, I'm not going to tell you everything, but I am going to tell you. It'll be a lot of fun. Prepare to get a little dirty. If you do have questions, uh, please reach out to myself or to Robin. We would love to answer any questions that you have regarding spa. Um, I don't know if I see any new faces, but it's our women's ministry. If you're 18 and older, come. We will welcome you with wide open arms. Thank you. In a moment, I'm going to show a video, and I'm going to have Rich Heth come up and talk more about Compassion International. And I don't know if you've heard of them before, but they're an organization that, that takes care of underprivileged children all around the world. And you, just a little bit of money each month, you can make an impact. And um, I know my wife and I, we sponsor a couple kids. I think we just hit the five-year anniversary of the ones that we sponsor. And it's just a joy just to see the pictures and uh, the, the, that they draw. And so it's really interesting. And just uh, communicating with them and knowing just a little bit that, you know, if you, if you buy coffee very often, it, 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 it pays for everything they need. It's amazing. But anyway, right now I want to show us a video, show you a video clip, and then I'll have Rich come talk to you about it. My grandfather used to say, God is with us, and God will always be with us. Every time that we had the Lost Resistance Army or the LRA, we are in a village, it was fear the fear of being abducted and being trained to become child soldiers. All the huts were burnt to the ground. I felt hopeless, no food, no water. It sent me into silence. 
My grandfather used to give us candy for memorizing Bible verses. It gave me hope. When the war intensified, my grandfather put me on a bus to live with my mother. My mother did not share much about her life because she had her own struggles. But I remember this Saturday, she woke me up and she said, I'm taking you to church. I saw children laughing. I had no idea what was going on, but I knew this was a good thing. And my life was forever changed. That same month, I got a letter from my husband and wife and the letter said they loved me. And at that moment, I had hope that everything would be okay. Growing up, my compassion sponsors encouraged me and continually spoke truth into my life. The Compassion Project became a place of healing and restoration. It was a place of refuge for me. I got medical care. I got an education and it became a great reminder of the Jesus that my grandfather introduced me to at the age of five. If you're thinking about sponsoring a child, I would say act, sponsor a child, because for me, my life was forever changed. And you can do that too. Hi, my name's Rich, for those of you who don't know me. And I'm so grateful for Jeff, Jerry, and the leadership board to give me this opportunity to speak to you about something that I'm very passionate about. So I'm going to start by sharing a story with you. Eight years ago, I was uh, started a special relationship with two children. And I was introduced to them through Compassion International. I thought this would be a great way to get my grandchildren involved. <laughs> So I let each one of them pick a child that had the same birthday as they had. That gave them something in common to start with. The first one was Mariana. She was from the Dominican Republic. She's uh, now graduated from school and opted out of the program. The other one was Harlem. He's 17 and he's from the Philippines. They just went through a horrible hurricane out there last year and they're still recovering from that and I just picked up a girl 17 her name is Ina and she's from Brazil she's handicapped so what happens is when you pick these kids up and you sponsor them it connects them with a local church it helps them with uh, physical emotional and spiritual needs it connects them with a the church so my sponsorship helped these kids. And 
with, uh, in the world now, there's over 385 million kids that live in extreme poverty, meaning that their family survives on $2.15 a day. Could you imagine that? And with the pandemic and food inflation, there's even more. The numbers are rising. There's more parents that can't send their children to school, can't buy medicine for them when they're sick. More kids going to bed hungry, no hope. 1 John 3.16 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and truth. Matthew 10.42, If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciples, truly I tell you that person will certainly not lose their reward. In Matthew 25.40, Truly I tell you, whatever you do, did for one of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me. God calls us to act, and I believe he's calling us here at First Christian to act. So today, I invite you to share a message of hope with these children. And come out to the foyer and visit me, and I'll help you get connected to a child or answer any questions you have on this. We're one many churches that are doing this today. It's called Compassion Sunday. So this is going on throughout the entire country. So I want to thank you for your time. Yeah, you can see Rich at the back table there. That table will be up next week also. They've got, um, they were given a, a group of children specifically for our church. So you can pick one of those if you would like or you can go on to their website and pick somebody else if you'd like, but it's really rewarding, and it's just real, it's fulfilling to know that you're able to help. You know, a lot of times they say, oh, Lord Jesus, help the starving children around the world, and we do nothing. Well, if you're going to pray it, do something. That's the way I see it. But anyway, we're thankful for this opportunity. Uh, inside of your bulletin, we have a lot of prayer concerns and prayers of celebration. We had our Art, of, our Art of Marriage retreat this last weekend. If you missed it, you missed a really good experience. We'll probably do another one in the future. But I want to thank everybody who was involved with that. We have a lot of prayers for health concerns. Uh, Ken is still recovering, probably a few more weeks out from, from getting better, but he can see visitors. Uh, he's at Haven. And also Ruth Levette is back in town, and she is at uh, Life Care. So if you'd like to go visit with Ruth, you can. We have troops who are deployed. We have uh, sh our shut-ins we're praying for. Please keep Bobby and Kate in your prayers. Kate doesn't have a lot of time left. And uh, we went to see them yesterday, and... Just keep him in your prayers. Do not phone call him because he can't hear well on the phone. You can, you, can, um, you can send emails to him on the computer. And if you need his email address, it's in, our, it's in, our on, it's in the online directory that we have. Um, we're praying for Peach's Pantry. They've had some things happen with them. They may be out of a facility. So we're getting more information on that. Uh, we're also praying for Southern Mexico Mission. So at this time, we also ask that you take your bulletins home and you, you've got a list of people that you can be praying for. At this time, let's stand together. We'll have a, our closing prayer, and um, our band will lead us out with a song. <clears throat> Father, I pray that as we are in the world this week, we realize that we were just like that prodigal son. We wanted it all. We wanted it now. We wanted our own path, our own way. And then at some point, those of us who've given our lives to you figured out that it just doesn't work well, and we came to you.
And Father, I just pray that we can find people in our lives that need you and we can help bring them back. Father, I pray that as we live life this week, we live it with joy and with celebration of knowing who we serve. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.